Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Smith Wigglesworth, about 70 years ago, actually 71 now, he prophesied that there would be an end-time revival just before the return of Jesus. That would be a revival of the Word and the Spirit together. Isn't that encouraging? Because, you know, there's so much loosey-goosey stuff with the Word of God out there right now. It's, it's actually concerning to me. And I want you to know that you can absolutely, totally put your faith in the Word of God. And it's not a blind faith. You can prove the Bible's true. And you need to do it, many of you, especially you young people and you, you young theologians and so on that are around, you need to know that this book is not just fanciful and historical and traditional. It is the word of God. Amen. And you can prove it. You can prove it experientially in your own life. You can prove it historically as you go through history and find out that the biblical references are actually true in places where years ago uh, leaders and educators have said, ah, oh, there never was such a city and there never was such a place. And then, don't you know, they just find them. And uh, it turns out it was true after all about that. And it's true about that. It's true. They find it over and over archaeologically. I think one of the biggest ones is it's true prophetically. Right? Did you know that Daniel prophesied the exact day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey? It's amazing. There's an Englishman by the name of Sir, Sir Arthur Anderson. He published a book in 1894, I believe, and at that time he was the head of Scotland Yard, a devout believer. And the book is called The Coming Prince. And he broke it all down, did all the math, did all the calculations and everything for you. You can buy that little book on Kindle and Amazon to this day. I bought it, read it, it's amazing. Where he worked out that from the going forth of the commandment, King Artaxerxes, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah the Prince, would be so many days, I don't know, 69 weeks of years, and when you do the math, it worked out right to the day that Jesus went and got the donkey and rode into Jerusalem proclaiming himself king. How many think that's amazing? And people have said, critics have said, oh, well, that just proves that the book of Daniel was written at a much later date, and so... These facts were already known. Have you heard that kind of nonsense? Yeah. It's not true because the Old Testament was translated into the Septuagint, which was completed by about 250 years BC. So 250 years before Jesus even came, they already had the Greek New Testament of the Hebrew Bible. And there's hundreds and hundreds of prophetic examples that we could take you through. 
But you need to do it yourself. You need to get on YouTube and start to study and prove to yourself that the Bible is true. You know why? Because there's a whole load of prophetic words that are coming up about what's about to happen on planet Earth. How many know Jesus is returning soon? Do you preach it here? I'm appalled at the lack of preaching about the second coming of the Lord. You know why people don't preach it anymore? Because there's been so many goofy things that say he's coming on December the 25th next year or whatever. And of course it doesn't happen. Listen, no one knows the day or the hour. It's enough for us to know that it's soon. You know, soon from the Lord can mean 2,000 years. I don't know. Like It was soon. And the New Testament was written. They thought it would be soon. But how much sooner is it now than then? I don't think the earth can hold together much longer. There's just about everything wrong that you can imagine. We came that close to a big confrontation with Iran the other day. Iran is one of the countries named in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that attack Israel. Do you know that? Pay attention. There's three, three main things that are pointing to the soon return of Jesus. Number one, Israel had to become a nation again. As you know, it happened 70 years ago. In spite of the fact that Almost all theologians said that will never happen because the church is the fulfillment of those promises to Israel. Well, guess what? They were wrong. And Israel is a nation and has miraculously survived for like 71 years. Secondly, Jerusalem, which has been downtrodden by many Gentile nations, since its destruction in 70 AD, will be a Jewish city again. So that was the prophecy of Jesus in Luke 21. Jerusalem will be occupied by Gentiles until. What's until mean? That means something's going to happen that's going to change all that. Until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Ooh, what a scary phrase. The times of the nations doing this, doing that, doing whatever they want is fulfilled. And friends, that was 50 years ago, 51 actually, when Jerusalem, the old city, was taken by Israel in that six-day war. (sighs) Who ever heard of a six-day war? Six-day war, they took all that territory and everything else, and everybody's like, stop, stop. Israel's winning. This will never do. Stop the war. Stop the war. But they took the old city, and they annexed it immediately. And that was 51 years ago. That had to be fulfilled, don't you think? And the third thing is, perhaps the most unbelievable of all, is Jesus said to his little group, little handful of people, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. 
they tell me there's a handful of remote tribes that have not heard yet. But it's absolutely gone to every major language. You know, we used to try, how many remember the Bible smuggling days? I remember when we go into countries, you always take extra Bibles and leave them and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to smuggle Bibles anymore. People just download them. You get it in your phone in whatever language you care to get it in. There's, there's churches in Saudi Arabia now. Are you aware of that? They're illegal, but they've hired a bunch of Filipinos to come in and be servants and everything else, and many of them are believers, loving Jesus, and they come in and they meet in Saudi Arabia. How do you like that? Iran doing its best to stomp out the gospel, and the more they try, the more God moves. I'm just thrilled by that, you know, because it's fascinating to me with Iran being named as one of those who come against Israel and get destroyed by heaven opening up over them with gigantic hailstones and wind and global earthquakes and all kinds of stuff. It seems like there's an, just this amazing amount of grace going out over them. We've, we've got about 40 mostly young uh, Iranians in our church in Toronto. I love those guys. They're just so on fire. I gathered them all around me because I'm not there all that often, but I go, guys, come on, I just want to give you all a hug, just gather around me and everything, and, and they did. And, and I said, listen, you were all Muslims like a year or two ago. And there are people out there that say there's no difference. It's the same God as this and that. You know, you just need to get along. Tell me what do you think the difference is? So they talked the Farsi among themselves for a minute, you know, this and that, this and that. And they said, we know what it is. I said, what is it? He said, now we have peace. Before, we were angry about everything. And now we have peace. You know why? Because the Prince of Peace came in. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a witness so that nobody could say, I never heard, no one ever told me. You might be able to say, well, they tried to tell me, but I just wasn't having it. That would not be a good answer on Judgment Day, by the way. <laughs> How many know Judgment Day is coming up as well? You better have the blood of the, of the Savior over the doorpost of your heart on that day so judgment passes over you. Anyway, the best news is that we are coming up on the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. And once that comes in, you know, I don't much care what happens after that. I'm 78 now. I'm, I'm like, hey, I'm good to go or whatever. Right? Because when you're your age, you're like, no, 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 I, I, I wouldn't mind being around for a while just to see what life's all about. I totally get that. You, you need to be about 50 
before you work out that life is short. <laughs> Are you 50 yet? Next year. Next year, see? So you're starting to wonder. Yeah. But life is short, and we're here with a very important purpose. To tell your friends, neighbors, family, and everyone around you that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is real. He's powerful. He heals. He saves. He delivers. And so that's the three journeys we're on. Inward for you, upward for him, outward for them. And if you're not on all three of those journeys, you're not going to be really fulfilled as a person. But I, I don't want to give you, you know, five or six messages all in one. We'll try to just focus on this. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's where we're going. And by the way, we all get new bodies. Wouldn't that be good? New eyesight, my dear. I mean, everything. It's, 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 it's incredible what's, what's ahead. But when God begins to move, he does things suddenly very often. The suddenlies of God is a fascinating study. Malachi 3.1 says, The Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Isn't it amazing that Jesus turned up and they didn't recognize him? The very people that are praying daily for Messiah to come, when the Messiah comes, they didn't recognize him. Ugh. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a humility to accept something that's not quite what we were led to believe was going to happen. You know, the Holy Spirit is full of surprises. Jesus came. You know, God's answer. Don't worry, I have an answer on the way. And he sends a baby. I mean, who, who, who would have guessed that? They, they were expecting this champion riding in on uh, a white horse victoriously. Well, that day's coming, but initially, he sends a baby. What an incredible answer. And it took 30 years for him to grow and get ready and get fulfilled. But see, judgment happens suddenly. Sodom, the flood, on and on, all those things happen suddenly. Victory happens suddenly. Hezekiah, with, when it was, all hope was lost, um, one angel wiped out pretty much the Assyrian army of 185,000. I wonder what those guys thought when that was going on. There's just no defense against that kind of power. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. How many like that story? One, <laughs> two, three, four. I love that story. Because we're almost there again, you know, like this and that and the other. And everybody's demanding that Christian uh, biblical views get compromised and shredded and disregarded and marginalized and everything else. 
Elijah felt like he was the only one left. And the Lord said, no, there's thousands that I've reserved. I think it was 3,000, wasn't it? Uh, unto myself. But never mind, victory came. And they had a national challenge. The Lord who answers by fire, let him be God. So priests of Baal, you guys go first. And so they built an altar, they sacrificed their bulls, they prayed and cried and cut themselves and everything from morning until late afternoon. And nothing happened. And then Elijah, Elijah got up and said, okay, everybody, let's regather, come unto me. They got bored with that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it just went on and on and on. Oh, well, nothing's happening. Is it? Okay, regather, come on back to me. We'll build up the altar. We'll put the wood in order. We'll kill the, the sacrifice and put that on the wood. And uh, just to make sure there's no tricks going on, go get barrels of seawater and pour it over the whole operation. I'm assuming they use seawater because it hadn't rained for three and a half years. So there wouldn't have been much up on the top of the mountain, would there? And so they did it. Do it the second time, he says. Do it the third time. And the water soaked everything and ran around and filled up the trench that was around the altar. And then he stands back and says, Oh, Lord, I have done all of this according to your word. Hear me, oh, Lord, hear me. And then the fire of the Lord fell. Burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the stones, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And everybody fell on their faces saying, the Lord, he is the true God. The true God has answered by fire. And I think we're coming into that kind of a day, friends. You know, we look around in England, UK, Canada, USA, Europe even, and we see little sparks here and there, little congregations that are going forward, a few little healings, a few little things, enough to know, yeah, God's alive and well. But when you start going to some of these other nations and see the full-on move of God as it is now, I don't know, to put it in comparison, it's probably five times stronger. We go into... Siberia, and they're as hungry as they can be. We pray for the room for healing, just like we did here. Three quarters of them get healed of significant things, massive, major things. When we call to forgive, the whole room forgives. When we call for salvation, Every time more and more people come. Friends, things are going on in the world. Yeah. Just this year alone, I'm trying to remember where I've been. Mexico. Uh, I've been in Mexico. I've been in Spain. I've been in Siberia. And in places here and there, everywhere we go, there's tremendous hunger for the Holy Spirit. And when you start getting out into third world nations, like what you're talking about doing in India, I mean, God is moving in these countries, friends, exactly like he promised. The earth 
shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the water covers the sea. Well done for sowing into India like that, by the way. That's, that's just so good. Um, when you're believing God for a bigger building, I think you're right on track because you're going to need one. There's two dynamics usually that drive revival. One is fear because everything's falling apart out there in the world and people are worried about what's going on. Like, we don't, who's the next prime minister of UK going to be? <laughs> and that kind of thing. And, but secondly, there's, there's a river of God moving so powerfully. And I'm telling you, the signs and wonders we have at this level are about to go right off Amen. the chart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm not just postponing things into the future, although from our perspective, it has yet to come really and hit again. But it's sweeping many, many nations. I tell you what, Mexico is so on fire right now. Brazil is so on fire. Argentina, Chile, I mean, Colombia, on and on, all these countries. The Middle East is on fire right now. I just had a report of what's going on in Syria. That country is war-torn, destroyed, a mess, if ever there was one. And yet people are wanting God. What does it take to get us to want God? Do we have to lose everything? Surely not. That's not his will, is it? Why don't we turn to him now while things are still pretty good? Right? That would make sense. But anyway, well done for sowing into that. And I believe because you did, God will bless you and allow you to have a, a much bigger building that will accommodate something that would be significant for fleet and for your, for your region. And start being very generous like that. You know, generosity is a, is a gift. <coughs> the, how many know the Lord's generous? How many know he wants you to be generous? How many want to be like him? You want to be like Jesus? He's generous. He gave it all. Can you imagine God gave his son? Oh, it's such a powerful story. Um, I was telling the friends in Russia about the story of Abraham and Isaac. I said, do you guys really understand what went on that day? And they're, you know, people are looking at me, okay, what's he going to say about this? Abraham waited until he was 99 before the Lord announced to him that a year from now you'll have a son by Sarah, who's, not, who's 89. So she's 90 and he's 100 when Isaac is born. What do you think, ladies? <laughs> I said, Carol, there's hope for us, babe. Let's, let's have one more. Come on. <laughs> she's like, she knows I'm just teasing her, but it's not even funny to her somehow. <laughs> but anyway, he's, he's 100 years old. He's got this little boy. He loves him. This is from Sarah. 
And so when that, when that boy is about, I don't know, 13, 14, the Lord comes along and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, who you love, and offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. You, you, you can imagine, he's like, what? Really? No, nah, you're, yeah, I'm serious. Really? Oh. Well, I trust you totally, so if this is what you're asking me to do, then I'll do it. So there, that just gives me two or three questions right away. Do you think he told Sarah about this and what he's going to do? Not a chance. It's like, honey, we're going camping for a couple of days. <laughs> and off they go. Guess where? One of the mountains of Moriah. Three days journey. Doesn't say which peak. My hunch is it was Calvary. Because that's the highest peak. So here they are going up the hill together. Isaac's got the wood on his back. Abraham has the fire in his head. And Isaac says, Father, we have the wood. We have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. Interesting in Hebrew. It could be, it could be God will provide a lamb for us or God will be the provided lamb. They go up the hill, and here's this amazing to me now. They build an altar together. They put the wood on it together. Then Isaac climbs up on the wood. Who do you think could run the fastest? The 13-year-old the or the 113-year-old? Probably the 13-year-old, right? But he cooperates with this. And Abraham's about to kill his own son in obedience to God. And it's like, stop. I just wanted to see if you'd go through with it. So right there we lose a bunch more people. See, rabbis won't even talk about this passage to their yeshiva students because it sounds like an endorsement for human sacrifice. What's going on? God, if that was just a test, that is the most cruel test I've ever heard of. Find a father who really, really loves his son, waited 100 years for him, and now you say, I want him back. Ugh. How many have wondered about this story? Am I the only one that wonders? You wondered about it. You know what's going on here? Here's what I think. God is saying, is there a man anywhere who's willing to do what I'm about to do with my son? And Abraham said, I'm willing. Well, of course, at the last minute, he stopped, and they found a lamb caught in the thicket. And so it goes on the altar. It dies instead of Isaac. So another picture of the, of the substitutionary death. But that's what it took to pay the debt of our sins, you see. See, God is so perfect in all his ways. Are you happy about that? Yeah. 
Are you thankful that God is perfect? Really? What are the implications of that to you? Because he's perfect, he can let nothing slip by. Nothing gets put under the rug. Nothing slips by. Every injustice must be put right by the perfect one. And so the whole human race race owes this massive debt to one another and to him. And he's like, there's only one way out. I need to pay off their debt myself. And so his son volunteers and says, I'll go and die in their place. I'll pay their penalty for them and pay off their debt so that simply by believing in me as their rescuer, they can be completely forgiven. (sighs) And so, yeah, he's perfect, and he's detailed like, you know, we, we can hardly imagine. But he's also love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. This is our message. This is what your neighbors need to know. And you know what? British people and Canadian people have given up on church. Oh, they tried this church or that church, and they went and thought, there's nothing there. They sing a few things, and they go home no different. I'm telling you, we have a life-changing gospel in our possession that, that we need to get stirred up and vocal about, and don't let anyone shut you up. You know, it's against the law to say Jesus at work or something. You can get fired for that. You can get fired for wearing a cross around your neck in some places. Is that true? I defy them to try to make rules like that. These are Christian nations historically, and we need to to get it back. Do you know what? Russia is full on with the gospel. They're, the Orthodox Church is teaching the Bible in their school systems. Who would have thought that they'd be more open to the gospel than the Western world? <laughs> Help us, Lord. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit needs to come and fall upon UK, fall upon Canada, and really get a hold of us like we've never imagined. Well, a suddenly is coming. Abraham was called suddenly. Joseph went from prison to prime minister rather suddenly. One dream interpretation in the right moment. Boom, you're the guy. Moses led the people out suddenly. Mount Sinai, suddenly, oh. Exodus 19, it's a wonderful story. Um, I was going to read you a little bit in Hebrews so that you kind of have a perspective for what's coming. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me begin at verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
The blood of Jesus is speaking mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Where Abel is crying out for justice. God, help. Do something. My brother's just taken my life. Then he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they, now this is Mount Sinai, thundering, lightning, fire on the mountain and everything else. And the people are invited, come close, and they're like, no way. Moses, you go. So in that context, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more. I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Are you ready for that shaking? Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things which are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. There's a great shaking about to come on the earth. I don't know when. Probably in most of our lifetime. I see it building up to a crescendo. This one and that one and the other one on the verge of getting nuclear weapons and crazy enough to use them and on and on it goes. Uh, what, what's the impact of all that? I don't know. All I know is it sounds like a pretty big shake-up to me. We only have one answer, really, and that's, that's the Lord himself, isn't it? Jesus came suddenly. He died suddenly. He rose suddenly. Can you imagine that experience with the disciples? Like, ah, oh, we're, we're with him. He's so amazing. He's so, he's so awesome. His miracles, his teaching, his heart. And, and suddenly they take him, and in one day, he's on the cross by morning. <clears throat> they must have been saying, I can't believe it. We just had... Passover dinner together last night. And nine in the morning, he's on the cross. They nailed him there. And he surrendered to them. What is going on? Six hours of suffering, he yields up his spirit and he dies. And the unthinkable happened. Our hero, our savior, our Messiah has just died. And he's quickly buried. And they don't know what to do. And then, three days later, the women come back and say, we've seen the Lord. He's risen, just like he said. And they're like, you're crazy. I saw the horror of that whole thing. No, no, it's true. He's really risen. And the risen Jesus starts appearing to them supernaturally. And they didn't even recognize him most of the time. Why did he look so different? 
He did. The Bible in, in uh, the book of Isaiah said, when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. I don't think Jesus was all that handsome and good looking by the sound of that verse. But then after the resurrection, he, he was this handsome champion looking of a guy. And you're like, he, he's kind of like Jesus, but Jesus was never that good looking. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> but he's got nail prints in his hands and has a wound in his side and it must be him. Can you imagine trying to ride that out? We've given our lives to this. Now they've taken him. He's dead. Oh, now what do we do? Now he's alive. Oh, my goodness. Now he's saying he's leaving. I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. Same one that was with me. I'm going to leave him with you. Wait for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem. And his last words, don't leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And they watch him go. Cloud receives him out of their sight. And they're like, now what do we do? Do you ever feel like alone? Lord, where are you? Like all these incredible promises, friends. Well, 50 days on, the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem. It was the sound of a hurricane, rushing mighty wind. It gathered the crowd. These guys have got flames on their heads, and they're feeling the anointing. Their fear vanishes. They burst open the door, and they're out on the street proclaiming good news in every language that you can imagine. And the people visiting for that feast understood it. And 3,000 are born again. Amen. And we're off. This little ragtag group that Jesus said, you guys are going to carry the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And once that's done, the end will come. I mean, that's pretty grandiose, right? You tell a group of, I don't know, how many were left? 120 or 30, maybe 300, maybe 500, if you counted them all in. Where'd everybody go? Wow, they just got disillusioned with the whole thing. Uh, he's never going to take over. He just keeps talking about this and that and the other. We're, we're hope. We had expectations that he was going to kick the Romans out and take over the government. So everybody's leaving him now. But this group of faithful, they stuck with him. And he told them, you're going to take my message of this kingdom to the whole world. And then the end will come. And we're living in days when that's pretty much been fulfilled. The gospel of the kingdom has gone everywhere. I'm amazed at how far the, the whole Toronto blessing, as it's called, message has gone. It's just everywhere. They've heard about it in Siberia. Can you believe that? Do you know what they've done? They invited me to come back next July the 1st to do their big, big gathering of over 3,000 people. 
because they're hungry for this stuff. Anybody want to come with me on that? <laughs> Go pray for some Russians. I'm telling you, friends, we're on the very edge. The suddenlies of God. Wow. You know, when uh, I'll close with this thought. When Toronto happened in 1994, we, we were ecstatic, we were delusional, and like, what is going on? There were so many questions. God, why do you like it when people fall down? What happens to people when they're on the, on the floor under the power for an hour? And we found he was healing them. He was emotionally healing them with so much good fruit. This is God, and we're having it, even though we don't understand everything. So I had to remind the Russians, listen, how many of you know that God is a lot smarter than you are? <laughs> and so people are like, yeah, I knew that. Okay, well, think about it. Why is it then when God moves and do something, and we say it's God, you rise up and say, no, it's not. Especially when we can point to verses all scattered throughout Scripture where it happened in the book of Acts, etc. And so I was just with a group that has said no thanks for the better part of 25 years. And now they're saying, maybe we need to take another look at this. Maybe God's bigger than we thought, right? Maybe he can do stuff supernaturally. And so they're, they're just hungering and, 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 and sad that they missed it all this time. But see, for such a time as this, he is moving. Well, Randy and I were completely over our head and out of our depth, as you say, by what's happening. And so... We're trying to work with our little church that I think it was bigger than this. We could squeeze in 400 max. And then we tried to get a banquet hall from time to time. But we got a big hotel ballroom for October of 94. And we had our first Catch the Fire conference. And you know what? Thousands came. We had like 3,000 people there. And... It was crazy. We, we would just say, okay, let's stack the chairs, everybody. If you want prayer, we've got lines taped on the floor. Put your toes on the lines. And our ministry team moved into them like combine harvesters. <laughs> <laughs> and in a matter of minutes, the ballroom looked like a battlefield with the wounded and the and they dead all over the floor. People writhing, moaning, groaning, laughing, crying. I mean, it was crazy. And the hotel staff was terrified of us. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd say, could you help me? Don't touch me. Don't come near me. <laughs> I can remember saying to Brandy Clark, Brandy, where is this going? And he's like, John, I don't know. We're, we're scared now. Like this, what have we unleashed? What has he unleashed through us? 
We didn't know. One of our pastors, Fawcett Fernando, was a hotel manager in another hotel. And he just watched them carrying people in and people falling in the lobby and laughing drunk on the floor of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, what do I do? Call the paramedics or, what, what, you know? And people are like, no, they're good. They're full of the Holy Spirit. It's okay, boy, Lord. And he's like, wow. And he saw that again and again and again. Finally, he couldn't stand it. He brought his whole family to church on, on Christmas morning. I gave the altar call, boom. The whole bunch of them came up to accept Jesus. Such a good story. But we didn't know, where is this going? And in the midst of that conference 25 years ago, David Roos gave an unbelievable prophecy. And I'd like, I want to show you the clip. Guys, if you could get that ready. We'll just show you three minutes of it. But this is David Roos at the keyboard, and the Holy Spirit comes on him. Can you see it? Am I not he who sits in the heavens and laughs at the plans of men? Has it not already been established from time of old that my king would be established on his holy mountain? I say to you, you thought my movement has begun. I tell you, it has yet to begin. You have seen nothing. You have seen nothing. You have seen nothing yet. This is just a preparation. You thought the seed is going out amongst the nations of the earth. I tell you that hasn't even begun. I'm just growing up a plant. My rains are coming to grow up a plant that will grow and grow and grow. And then, and then come to the place of seed. You thought you felt wind? It has been nothing. My wind shames the greatest hurricanes. My wind shames the greatest tornadoes. My rain and my wind wreak greater, greater, greater havoc and destruction on the realm of the enemy than any natural thing you have seen. And my wind will blow on this plant, and the seeds will go forth to the nations of the earth and bring forth the greatest harvest written page or oral tongue has ever declared in the nations. Give me glory! So can you imagine... We're feeling totally overwhelmed. Where is this thing going? Is, is the Lord returning in a couple of weeks or whatever? And, and David comes out with that. 
you have seen nothing yet. This is nothing compared with what's coming. I'm merely growing up a plant. And that plant will go to seed. And my wind will blow that seed to the ends of the earth. And that will become the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. That one, friends, was 25 years ago. I'm telling you, we're on the edge. I said to the Lord, Father, I believe it with all my heart. I believe that was you. I believe the harvest is coming. I believe the earth will be filled. But I said I would really, really like a verse of scripture to back it up. And he gave me Revelation 14, 14. And we'll just read that and leave it with you. And then we'll close in prayer. Why don't we all stand while I read it? We'll get that part sorted. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for... The time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Amen. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle, and the earth was reaped. There's coming an amazing harvest, everybody. It'll be a suddenly of God. Probably we'll just be going along, planning to go to work the next day or whatever. And unbeknownst to us, the signal will come from the temple of God. Thrust in your sickle, for the time has come for you to reap the earth. That is the beginning. That is step one. A global harvest of souls. Following that, there's disaster. And uh, that's for another day, of course. You can read the rest of it yourself. But this is the wheat harvest that's coming in. Yeah. Uh. Then there's the grape harvest. You want to get in on the first one. Lord, I ask that a spirit of conviction, conviction of sin, conviction of the holiness of God, conviction of this soon uh, wind up of the Lord Jesus Christ, all that. Just let us start to take the Bible seriously. This just doesn't go on and on. For another thousand years, friends, we're in the great windup. The king is most anxious for his bride. 
And I tell you what, Jesus is not going to return when you think it's time and when you feel I'm ready. He's going to come when he is good and ready. You understand that, right? Because after all, he's the king. And it's going to happen on his time schedule. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to prepare for the coming glory. We shake off the ease in Zion. And we shake off the que sera, sera kind of attitude. We want to be sharp, full of prayer, full of the anointing, poised and ready for whatever the Holy Spirit would speak to us. If you're here this morning and you're not ready for the Lord to come, you're not ready to surrender your life fully to Him. Friends, all I can do is plead with you, do not put this off. The world is teetering on a very precarious slope right now. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, the smart thing would be to settle that one today. Maybe you once knew him and you've kind of fallen away, drifted off, whatever. I beg you, listen to that voice of God that says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why is that? It's because Jesus actually is God the Son. No one else is qualified to pay the debt of the entire world but God himself. Muhammad can't do that. Buddha can't do that. Some great leader can't do that. It has to be someone of the stature of God himself who gladly came and paid your debt for you. It may be that you got careless and you went after an education or a career or a relationship or something like that and they talked you out of serving Jesus. Friends, that was a mistake. You need to repent and come home right now. It may be that you've never heard the gospel clearly preached. The good news is you don't have to pay your debt at the end of your life because Jesus is offering to pay it for you right now. Just Believe it and receive him as your savior. You'll find the best friend you've ever had in all of your life in so doing. If you're here this morning and you know that you need to get right with God or come home to him or return home to him, I'm going to ask you just to Close your eyes and admit that to yourself and to the Lord right now. Say, God, 
You're an emotional God. You're a loving God. You're a caring God. You're a no-nonsense God. I want you in my life. I want to know the Savior who loves me. His words, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you need him, humble yourself and admit it to yourself. Tell him, I need you, Jesus, I, I need you. See, the church won't save you. The philosophy won't save you. Only the Savior will save you. Save you from what? From certain judgment. When you come out of that body of yours and go into eternity. He's the greatest friend ever. He did it because he loves you. Tell him right now, Jesus, I want you back in my life. I want to surrender to you. Because see, friends, that's where it all begins, is when you get honest and admit it to yourself. I can't twist your arm and make you do this. You have to choose him. Amen. If there's anyone here who just told the Lord, I want you back in my life. I've been away I've fallen away. I've never heard this or whatever. But if there's any one of you here that needs to come home to Christ and you just told him that and you meant it, then unashamedly hold your hand up high so I can see you. Bless you, sir. Bless you, young man. Bless you, lady. Bless you there. If you're serious about this, friends, and I'm sure that you are, I'm gonna ask you to take an important step. Move into the nearest aisle and quickly come down to the front so I can pray with you just for an, another moment. I want you to do that right now. Come on. Don't be embarrassed about this. Don't be embarrassed about this. God bless you, sir. God bless you, young man. Are we waiting for anyone else? And one lady tried to make it, but then she ran right into the anointing. The day I did this, for some strange reason, I was fighting it with everything that was within me. I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of my family and go up and say, you know, I'm away from God. I'm 15 years old fighting it. And my grandfather, bless him. My grandfather, leaned over to me and he said, John, if you're not sure, you better go. 
will you just reach over to your friend and, and say, do you need to be up here with these others? And if they say, well, yeah, I think I do. Say, well, I'll go with you. Come on. Come on, girls. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. It's the best yet. Give me your attention here just for a minute. Look up here. Surrendering to Jesus is the smartest decision and choice you will ever make, okay? Doesn't mean it's easy, it's not always easy, but it's a lot easier than not having it, all right? And when you say yes to him, new life comes in, and the burden of guilt and fear, shame and all that, lifts off, and you take a hold of the promises that are yours because it says that uh, whoever confesses and believes that Jesus is the chosen one, the Messiah, has eternal life. So I want you to pray this out loud after me. All of us do it. You do it as a remembrance prayer, but you at the front, I want you to mean it and really say it like, oh, I'm really meaning this because I want him in my life. Are we ready? Okay, dear Jesus, I come to you this morning. I admit that I have sinned. I've done a lot of things wrong. I'm truly guilty. But I'm sorry for my sins. And I turn away from them all. And I ask you to come into my heart and life and wash me clean. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. You paid my debt. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me and became my Savior and my champion. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Take a deep breath. Let all fear and shame go. And say, wow, is it really that easy? just that easy. All you have to do is really mean it. And he comes in and you know what? You go outside and suddenly the grass is greener. The sky is bluer. Everybody you meet is a nice person. And you're like, what's going on? Wow. You've just been born again. Congratulations. Congratulations. Don't go yet. Congratulations. So I want you to do a favor for me. Get a Bible, start reading in the book of John, and you're not reading just history, you're reading a love letter to your own heart, okay? Because he loves you, and that's the reason that book was written. 
Um, do we have workers that can spend a minute with these people, or what do we do here? You take them? All right. See this nice youth pastor here, this lady? Go with her for a moment and just, do you give them any literature and any of that kind of stuff? Good. She's got a little gift for you. Just go with her. Let's give them a great big welcome to the global family of God. Amen, amen, amen. All right, turn to your friend near you right now and just bless one another and say, get ready for the greatest harvest the world has ever seen in the name of Jesus. 